0: I want to set the stage of this uh, uh, study tonight by, first of all, talking about the fact that, that ours is a success-oriented society. It may not be tr- so true uh, in other countries of the world. I'm not able to talk, say that, but I do know that at, um, you know, in the U.S. of A., it's very important to be successful. We, we, we worship at the altar of success, I don't remember when the word success has been used more often than in the last decade. Just go into any um, place, any, go up to any magazine rack and look at the magazines on the rack and count the number of times that word success is, appears just on the cover. I, I, I tried this myself. I Was um, in a supermarket the other day and was checking out, and I looked on the counter there at these little magazines and books, the ones I could dare look at without (laughs) fear of going blind. (laughs) And and I can tell you that on every cover, there the word success is uh, was was mentioned on every one of them. Um every weekend somewhere some great conference on success is being held. A couple of weeks ago a, a huge conference on how to be successful was held in Dallas. The big guns were there, Schwarzkopf and and Zig Ziegler and, and, and Roger Staubach and all those. I was not invited. Scott were you invited? No, I wasn't invited. And uh, there was so many people trying to get into the, true story, into the Civic Center in Dallas, tied up traffic for hours. They said they were not prepared to take care of the traffic to get into that place. And thousands of people came to Dallas for a meeting and reunion tower, reunion arena, to listen to people talk about how you can be successful, because everybody wants to be successful, and we worship at the altar of success. But what happens, I think, oftentimes—and and, and not all the time—and who am I, you know, uh, to to speak for everybody? But but many times we miss the real point of, of success. Now, the real point of success is that that a person can experience satisfaction, fulfillment, and happiness in life. Because after all, we have this dream, this idea, that if we reach a measure of success, that in becoming successful, we will be happy and fulfilled, contented in life. That is not always the case. Helen Rosenthal makes an interesting point when she says, there is never enough success in anybody's life to make one feel completely satisfied. There is never enough success in anybody's life to make one feel completely satisfied. In a little more mundane way, the Executive Magazine, Executive Digest puts it like this. The problem with success is this, that the formula for success is the same formula for a nervous breakdown and Johnny Cash that most of you know and adore, says it like this. If a person never has time for himself to hunt or fish, then that person is successful. The point is, is that in our pursuit of success, we fail to realize that the main point of success is to be contented, to be happy, to be fulfilled in life. Now. There are messages that the world gives us concerning how that happens. That is, how you can be successful. And those messages, there are four of them, are found in four different words. These words are fortune, fame, power, and pleasure. This is how it works. First of all, fortune. That you'll never be successful until you're able to have a lot of money. And I doubt if any of us really would put too many people on our list of success, on, on a normal list of success, unless that person has a, a lot more money than the average person. Because to us, successful people are rich. Now you understand I'm not against uh, becoming rich, making money, Um, or investing wisely or or saving money as long as the motive of that is correct, as long as the method of obtaining it is with integrity and honesty. Um, But the fact is that I don't know too many people or nor have I read about too many people who are actually very happy just in storing up money as a matter of fact, there are a lot of people tonight who are the richest people in the world who are still looking for this success and contentment and fulfillment in life. And the New Testament has an illustration of that in the, rich, in the so-called rich young ruler because even though this man was exceedingly wealthy, he had found no kind of fulfillment in his life because success and fortune are not s- synonymous And then there is fame. You've got to be known in the public arena. And I doubt if too many people are listed on too many lists of successful people who are not well recognized, well known in the public arena. Someone said that popularity and fame are directly related and connected and they are the twins of satisfaction. It is a lie. It is not true that the people who are famous have found a great measure of fulfillment and satisfaction. Not long ago I saw an interesting little article in a magazine about the 20th anniversary or birthday celebration of uh, KABC uh, television or radio in Los Angeles, and they were honoring this talk show host of KABC for 25 years of public public, service, Uh, radio talk show host. His name was Michael Jackson. Now, he's not the the singer, Michael Jackson, but that was his name. And they were celebrating him in 25 years of being the top radio talk show host. I guess that was before Rush. (laughs) Limbaugh, the patron saint of all the conservatives here. And and so after the party was over, this guy got up to kind of wrap up the party. And this is what he said. Listen to this. He said, I would not wish the curse of fame on anybody. Now those of us who are outside the public arena and, and are not known would just dream of being famous. I mean, wouldn't it be great to walk through a Dallas DFW airport and watch everybody's head turn and know they were looking at you? And just listening and seeing them whisper, there he goes. That's him. Alfred Adler says that the strongest drive in any human being is the drive to be famous, to be important. It's stronger, says Adler, the the father of modern psychology. It's stronger than the sex drive, he said, and J. Wallace Hamilton calls this. The drum major instinct, he says, everybody wants to be famous, wants to be known, wants to be recognized. But you just read the stories of famous people, people who have to disguise themselves to go out in public, and they'll tell you that fame is not fulfillment or satisfaction. It is not a pleasure, they'll tell you. It's a curse. And then there is power have a lot of authority and be able to wield that authority. I doubt if you have anybody on your list that doesn't have some semblance of authority and power over somebody, because the famous people we know and the people we recognize as famous are people who are able to push their weight around, have a lot of weight, and are able to to move a lot of people, people with power and authority. And then there is pleasure. In order to be successful, you've got to be a person who is able to do what he wants to do, what he feels like doing, eat, drink, and be merry kind of concept. Now you talk to me. What is missing from those four messages the world gives us concerning successful people? What is missing from that? Hello? (laughs) I'll tell you what is missing from that. God is missing from that. And his son is missing from that. The vertical dimension is missing from that. And there has to be the vertical dimension before there can be any kind of fulfillment and satisfaction in life. And that is the point of success. I mean, the vertical dimension, if it's missing, means, implies, suggests, hints at least, that a person will never be contented and fulfilled, and also the horizontal dimension. Now what's this? Um, Chuck Swindoll tells that his sister one time was, had the privilege of uh, visiting with one of uh, Italy's most famous opera singers, and she visit her, visited her at, at this villa, and this lady was there, and they were just kind of standing on the balcony of this villa, and they were looking out at all this marvelous scenery, this beautiful garden. So, that lady was extremely wealthy, extremely famous. And Chuck Swindoll's sister said to her, "I suppose that this is success to you." And she said, "Oh no, this is not. This is not what I call success." And she said, well, what, what, would, what you, would you say to you, you know, being successful is to you? She said, well, when I stand to sing and I look out over the audience and I sense their joy in my singing and all of a sudden in that dynamic moment I realize that I have met a need in their life. That to me is the expression of success. What she was saying was, that whenever a person can fulfill somebody's need, the horizontal dimension brings satisfaction, fulfillment to her life. Now keep in mind that the vertical dimension is essential and there must be an an investment in in other people, in the horizontal dimension so that here is the definition of success. It is to have some sense of peace with God through Jesus Christ our Lord and some sense of investment in the lives of other people that is to be able to minister to their need, to help them, to have compassion and to show them that compassion. So success comes when there is this proper vertical and horizontal experience or dimensions in one's life. Now that gets us to the text. Been on the runway now, revving up, trying to get enough speed to take off. So let's take a look at the text. 1 Peter chapter 5, beginning at verse 5. You, know, you younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders, and all of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, for God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you at the proper time. Cast all your care, your anxiety upon Him, because He cares for you. Now, there are three things involved. Three things involved in achieving fulfillment, satisfaction in life, which is the point of success. Now, let me just kind of... Um, you know, be sure we're on the same page here, on the same wavelength. You are not successful. You are not successful unless you have found a sense of satisfaction, fulfillment, some kind of uh, joy in your life. Okay, now how has that happened? There are three things, I think, in the text. All of them begin with the letter A. There is authority, there is attitude, and there is anxiety. All well, right, let's look at authority. He says, you younger, you younger people, you younger men, submit to those in authority. It's interesting to me that he begins this formula for finding satisfaction with young people submitting to authority. Because a person will never find a measure of success in life unless he's able to begin at the level of submission to authority. It starts in the home. So if these kids growing up, learning to live and respecting the authority of their parents, not living in rebellion, it moves into the schoolroom I could not be a teacher in this age. <laughs> it moves into the schoolroom. It expresses itself in the arena of government, that is, with law enforcement. And here are these young men, he calls them. It means youth who are learning how to submit to the authority of those who are in authority. Now, I can promise you this. The people that you would list as being successful who have learned what it means to live with a vertical and dimension to life are people who begin with respect for authority at an early age. I challenge you to find any contradiction to that statement. And then he moves to those, to all of us. And he uses a term that is synonymous, but it's more picturesque. He says that the rest of us, us old folks, are to clothe ourselves with humility. Now, if he's talking to young people about submitting to authority and he moves to the older folks, it is the same kind of ideal with regard to submission and servanthood and teachability. And what he's saying is this that the people who are successful are the people who submit themselves one to another to learn from one another and are teachable so that they learn from one another those things that need to be learned. Experience is not the best teacher. Experience is is a good teacher if you have the guidance of a good teacher. And what what Peter is saying is this. He's saying that now if you want to be successful, if you want to find satisfaction in your life, you need the experience of of humility and submission to be guided and to be led in life. Now, I want you to turn with me to Proverbs 3. We're going to take a quick look through some Scripture here. And if you'll cooperate with me, and, and read and look up the Scripture, I'll let you out early. 30 seconds early. I'm going to read the third chapter of Proverbs, and I want to begin reading at verse 31. Now, there's several kinds of Proverbs. These happen to be Proverbs of contrast, okay? And, and that is, a, that is uh, you know, uh, one type of proverb. Look at it. It says, verse 31, Do not envy a man of violence, And do not choose any of his ways. For the crooked man is an abomination to the Lord, but he is intimate with the upright. Now God doesn't have favorites, but he does have intimates. And he doesn't like the crooked, but he's intimate with the upright. Okay, that's the contrast, second contrast. The curse of the Lord is on the house of the wicked, but... He blesses the dwelling of the righteous. Third contrast. Though he scoffs at the scoffers, yet he gives grace to the afflicted. That word afflicted in the Hebrew means to the person who lives a servant type life. Okay, now on your way back to 1 Peter, I want you to stop off at James 4. We're in the neighborhood. Let's stop off at James 4. And I want you to read verse 6, for James quotes the proverb in a different way. This way he says. Verse 6, chapter 4. But he gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says, it says, Proverbs, God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the proud to the humble. Now, here's the first step. Here's the first um, uh, uh, leg of the stool, three-legged stool. The way to success, that is fulfillment and satisfaction, is to never get away from the servant-type life that submits one to another. I mean, when you become so proud that you have all the answers and everybody has to do it your way, you have just entered the realm of the failure. All right, number two. The second word is attitude. He says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that He may exalt you, that He may exalt you at the proper time. Now there's nothing any more wonderful in life, nothing any more satisfaction brings any more joy to life than humbling oneself under God. And there is nobody who lives in rebellion against God who is ever going to find any measure of satisfaction and joy. You can forget it. That the satisfaction of joy that comes in life, fulfillment that comes in life, is the fulfillment that comes to a person who has humbled himself before God. Now, in the Old Testament, there are two um, uh, ways, two meanings, two symbols to the hand of God. It, it, It symbolizes two things in the Old Testament. It symbolizes his discipline, and it symbolizes his deliverance. Now, let me give you an example of it. Let's go back to the book of Exodus. Would you do that with me right quick? Everybody needs to turn. Don't say, honey, you turn, I'll look on. Chapter 3 of Exodus. And we're going to work our way back, so we're going to be at Exodus 3, Exodus 6, and Psalm 32, if you want to get ahead of me. So let's look at Exodus chapter 3, verse 19. Look at this. But I know that the king of Egypt... Uh, listen to this, this is, uh, listen carefully here. God is, uh, uh, Moses is turned aside, and God's speaking to him, and the bush is still burning. And God is calling Moses, trying to get Moses to, you know, go back to Egypt and deliver his people for him. And Moses is putting up a little resistance, and he's talking about what's old Pharaoh going to do when I go back there and stutter a little bit and say let my people go. And this is what God said, look at this. I know that the king of Egypt, will not permit you to go except under compulsion. Now, if you have a, a, a New America standard, the footnote to that verse says, by a strong hand, doesn't it? This is yes. Okay, by a strong hand. He says, look at what he says. He says, I know that the king of Egypt will not permit you to go except by a strong hand. Whose hand is he talking about? He's talking about his hand. Okay, now turn to chapter 6, verse 1. Look at this. Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh, for under compulsion, there's that footnote again, for by a strong hand he shall let them go, and by a strong hand he shall drive them out of his land. He'll say, get out of here. I don't want anything to do with you anymore. He's talking about the discipline and the deliverance of God. Now I want you to turn to the 32nd chapter of Psalms. Well, let's look at one more example of it. Verse, th- verse 4, Psalm 34, 32 verse 4. For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me, the hand of discipline, And the psalmist knew that hand of discipline. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer, the disciplining hand of God and the deliverance of God's mighty hand. Now, now what is Peter talking about here? He's talking about an attitude that accepts God's disciplining hand upon his life. And the point is that when we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God and we are willing to accept His discipline and gratefully acknowledge His deliverance, we find fulfillment to life. As many of you know, and Scott went with us the last time, we went up to McLeod Prison there's a guy up there that I've met that i uh, that's so impressive to me. His name's Robin. I don't even know the guy's last name. But Robin is this handsome guy. He's built like chiseled. You know, he's chiseled out of stone. He is—he's about a the thirty-five or to thirty-eight year old man. Handsome, strikingly handsome. He was in the movie uh, The Last of the Mohicans. He had a major part in that movie. But he and he's a uh, like a. a, a Second year student at the at Wichita State University, and he was convicted in, in Edmond, Oklahoma of rape. So he's in prison. And he is a he's brilliant. This guy's brilliant. He's finishing his degree in um, at while he's there at McLeod. And he leads this Bible study of, of prisoners of the prisoners at six o'clock every 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 Tuesday. So we go up there, when I go up there to preach, we go to the Bible study. He's he's profound. I mean, he's studying, he's teaching out of the book of Romans. I'm sitting there, man, where do you get that? Man, this is wonderful. And he was he was up for pro um, the week the last week I went up there, I go up with there's a fifth Tuesday in the, in the month. If there's a fifth Tuesday, I go up there to preach. Figure that one out. <laughs> Anytime there's a fifth Tuesday. And he had, the week before he had. Gone up, went up for parole. He'd been up for parole and was denied parole. And I, I said, well, what does that mean? He said, well, I'm, it'll be another year before I'm even considered again. And I could just feel, you know, the disappointment. And I said, well, I know, you know, I'm so sorry, Robin, and I, I, I'm, I just, I'm just feel for you. And this is what he said. He said, the almighty God who is in control of my life knows where I am And he knows that I'm not ready to be released from this prison. He's got work yet to do in my life. And when he gets through with his work in my life, then he'll deliver me from this prison. You know what he was doing? He was saying, you don't have to worry about me. I have found contentment and fulfillment in my life here. I have found and understood that God has a hand of discipline in my life. And when He gets through disciplining me, I'll be perfected and I'll be delivered. Now what Peter is saying in this text is this, is that the way to fulfillment is to understand that God will bring His hand of discipline upon your life. And if you respond to that positively and and in submission, then God will deliver you from the things in your life that should not be there. And so you you don't rush things, you accept God's timing, you accept Him to set the pace, you believe Him to set the pace, and you live in humility under His hand, His mighty hand. Third word, anxiety. Now what happens is that anxiety will always accompany life. The opening line of The Road Less Traveled, many of you have read that book, Um, Peck's book, The Road Less Traveled, he has another book called The People of the Lie. But I bet you there's somebody here tonight can quote the opening line. The opening line goes like this, Life is difficult and trouble happens. I saw the last part of that statement on the bumper of a pickup. Trouble happens, didn't say it exactly like that, but... It's uh, said something like that. Now, the opening line of of, a road less travel, life is difficult and trouble happens. Now, when life is difficult and trouble happens, what do you do? Peter said, you cast your burden upon the Lord. Cast all your care upon Him, for He cares for you. Now the word "cast" there is an interesting word. It means to deposit to or to entrust something to another. It's like it's a banking term. When you you take your trouble, your anxiety, the fear that riddles your life, and brings all this stuff up from the inside that just makes you miserable and unhappy, you bring that and you entrust it to God with your life. And that's what the psalmist says in fifty five twenty two. Listen to it. Cast your burden upon the Lord and He will sustain you. He will never allow the righteous to be shaken. He will never let you quake in fear and anxiety if you load, unload your burden on Him. Now here's the formula. Watch the formula if you got your notes. Submission plus humility minus anxiety equals relief. You can live with success if you carry out this formula. Now, I wish it were that simple It just goes snap and things would ever be, you know, you just walk out of here, man, and just, now, so there are three things needed to make this happen. Would you get these and then we're out of here. First is direction. How can we know to whom we should submit? Whom, how can we know to whom we can find direction, from whom we can find direction. Who should I follow? Who should I model? Would you begin to pray this prayer with me, Lord, put people in my life that I can emulate and follow. Put people in my life, Lord, would you send into my life and show me the people that I'm to emulate and to follow and to, and to use as an example and trust God to show you the people that you can follow, whose example you can follow. We need direction. Second, we need discipline to restrain us from hellish pride. For when pride comes, it, it will raise its head and it will tell us to intimidate and to exploit and to get our own way. And so when the, when the discipline of the Lord comes, rejoice in it and thank Him for it because it's His way of getting you ready for life. Tell Him, Lord, whatever's in my life, I want you to bring your hand against and, and discipline me. I'm, w- I'm willing to accept that discipline because I know if I'm not disciplined, I'll be full of pride and arrogance. And discernment. Discernment so that we can spot the beginnings of anxiety. Let me ask you something. Is something bugging you tonight? Is it something just kind of bugs you and, and just kind of gnaws at you and just kind of disturbs you a little bit? That's the beginning of anxiety. And so we need the perspective on those things that are in our life that are bugging us. Lord, help me to see those things that are causing stress and and, and, and unhappiness in my life help me to see before I get caught up in depression. I don't often quote, quote um, Thoreau, but Thoreau is a deep thinker. And uh, since I'm not one, I like to quote him. Let me quote a statement from Thoreau. If one advances carefully in the direction of his dreams and endeavours to live the life to which the life which he has inspired, he will meet with a success unexpectedly in common hours. Now, since that's a deep thought, I need to read it again. If one advances confidently in the direction of his dreams and endeavors to live the life which he has inspired, he will meet with a success unexpectedly in common hours. What Thoreau says is that success is not the result of a pursuit It's a serendipity. And that person who lives his life under authority, where authority is appropriate, a servant kind of life, teachable and humble and free from anxiety, he will discover the success that people pursue. And he will find as a serendipity A fulfillment in life that is not found in power, in pleasure, in fortune, or in fame. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the teaching of your word. Now help us to respond positively to it. For I pray in Jesus' name. There's an attitude tonight, a need for an invitation. We're we'll going to sing "Only to Trust Him" number three seventeen. Before we turn to the, before we get to the song and start the song, let me give you these invitations. Perhaps you need to come tonight to give your life to Christ, or some of you may need to come and place your life in church, the discipline of a church fellowship, or the rededication of your life to, to Him. While we stand to sing, we invite you to come.